This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. What is up, Elevate? It is always a joy to open God's Word with you. And I'm very excited to begin a new series. And this series is something that I hope will anchor in your heart and give you tools that will last the rest of your life. And the series is called Walk in the Light. And it's talking about how do we study the Bible? How do we get into God's Word so that it gets into us Now, there was once a preacher who was packing to go and preach, and he had a suitcase out on the bed. His son saw into the suitcase that there was all the things that he would take with him on his travels, but there was one little empty space left reserved. So the the son asked about it. You know, what what is this here? What, What goes here? And the father said, son, I left that space. And with that space, I still have enough room to take with me bread for when I'm hungry, fire to keep me warm, a hammer to build with, light for dark places, milk to nourish me, a map to guide me, seed to plant for harvest, and even a sword to fight with. Well, the little boy was dumbfounded and he asked, how are you going to fit all of that in the little space? And the father replied, that is where I put my Bible. It's God's Word, and it's everything that I need. Elevate. The Bible is so beautiful. It's 66 books. It's not one book. It's 66 books written by more than 40 authors in different languages. Most of the authors never even met each other. They're coming from sometimes different countries, composed in different historical settings, all from between about 1440 BC to about 100 years AD. And despite all the differences in their personalities, their languages, their locations, the time periods, all of them somehow miraculously attest to the same God of the same character with the same purposes. And it was written by a variety of different kinds of people. It's written by shepherds and historians and priests, governors, musicians, kings, prophets, a tax collector, a doctor, a tent-making theologian, missionaries, and even a few fishermen. And God speaks through these authors and gives them distinct puzzle pieces, which profoundly and miraculously fit together. But the puzzle is left unfinished until the one that it prophesies the Christ becomes the crowning center to complete it. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that completed puzzle, that phenomenon of continuity and power, is the awesome tapestry of God's self-revelation to us. And we call it the Bible. And although it contains law, It's not just a rule book. And although it contains history and science, it's not just a history book or a science book. And though it contains poetry and wisdom, it's it's not art or philosophy. And though it even contains prophecy, it's not some sort of crystal ball. The Bible 
has a greater purpose than rules or knowledge or understanding of the natural order. It has a greater purpose than art or philosophy or, or forecasting the future. It has three purposes. And those three purposes I'm going to repeat every week so that whenever we open it up and read it, we have these in the back of our minds and see how every portion of Scripture is pointing back to these three purposes. And the first purpose is that it glorifies God. From cover to cover, it is, it's worshiping and praising the God of the universe. And secondly, the Bible reveals who God is. The, the second purpose is for us to know God and that knowledge to lead us to salvation. And finally, the third purpose is that it equips God's people. So the Bible has three purposes, to glorify God, for us to know Him, and to equip us. So tonight we're going to cover a few different categories. Uh, tonight we'll operate as an overview of the Bible to kind of help help you get started. Like, what's going on? What's the overall story? How is the Bible organized? How do I find stuff? And where do I start? Those are some of the questions we're going to cover so that as we go into the next three weeks, each one of those weeks will build on this foundation. And then week three will build on the foundation of two and one, and four will build on all of them. So what is the main focus of the story of the Bible. It's actually plainly stated in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we have a story that took place right after Jesus's resurrection. And some women have visited the tomb. They met angels, but no one's seen Jesus yet. And a couple of disciples are on this long walk from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus steps in and begins to conversate with them. And this is what Jesus says, or what it says about Jesus. It says uh, that they are they're talking about this prophet that came and died, and they're confused. And Jesus turns to Scripture, and beginning verse twenty-seven of Luke twenty-four, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's a reference to the whole Old Testament, Moses being the first five books, and then the rest of it being the prophets. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that is, a, in a nutshell, the main focus of scripture, that every portion of scripture is in one way or another functioning as a puzzle piece that is pointing towards the crowning center, and that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. So here's an interesting question. How could it be true that 66 books written in different time periods, different places, different languages by different people, could somehow unite to be a, un a united story about one person? And we find the answer in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up to verse 14 just for a little bit of context. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging him to continue in what he's learned about, about Jesus, about the gospel. So let's pick up in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with, get this, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have another testimony that the sacred writings that that Timothy would be reading, which is the Old Testament, could make someone wise to salvation through an understanding of who Jesus is. Verse 18, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Breathed out by God. How could it be unified by different people in different places and different languages? It's because although it had multiple human writers, it had a singular divine author. And that author purposed this for us. When I was youth pastoring in Oklahoma, we had Halloween coming around the corner, and it happened to land on a youth night. So I thought, what a great opportunity. Now, if you go back into history, Halloween is actually related directly to church history. November 1st was the day that the overall church would remember and celebrate past saints, past Christians. And so November 1st was called All Saints Day, All Hallows Day. And the night before All Hallows Day would be All Hallows Eve. It's the night before this day of remembering those who have gone before us in the faith. And so I want to take advantage of this. And I wrote miniature biographies of great Christians, maybe five or six great Christians in history, long-term history, recent history. And I recruited teenagers that would memorize these little tiny biographies and the idea was to sort of surprise the rest of the youth group. So we, the whole youth group got in this big circle, and I undercover gave flashlights to those five or six that were participating, and we turned out all the lights. So we're standing in the dark in a circle, and suddenly a light would come on from across the circle. And the teenager would say, hi, my name is, and they would say this, this Christian's name, and tell a little bit of biography about themselves, and then their flashlight would turn off. And suddenly, at a different part of the circle, the light would turn on, and we learned something else about another person in history. Well, as we were preparing for this, we were doing kind of a, a run-through. Uh, I've got the five or six students with me, and they're working on their lines, and uh, I had one uh, student, uh, Josh, love this guy to pieces. He was struggling with... Um, sort of how it flowed. And I said, Josh, why don't you just take out this line, and I think it's going to flow a lot better. And Josh, who is a literalist to the hilt, says, Dom, I, I can't do that. Well, why not, Josh? Why can't you take the line out? It, it's going to flow much easier. It's going to be better on you. And Josh says, well, that's not the way it's written. That's not the script. And I said, Josh, I wrote the script. I can change it. And And this is sort of like a, a, a silly illustration of how God works with the Bible. Of course, it's going to be unified. Of course, it's going to be perfect because God is the author. 
and he's working through multiple people, but it all comes down to one author. So what is the overall story of the Bible? The Bible is a story which gives God glory by showing how he saves his people. As you read through from Genesis to Revelation, it's always going to point back to this is God's salvation mission. All giving glory to him of how he saves his people. So if you'll stay with me for just a few minutes, I want to walk you through the whole plot of Scripture. Are you ready for this? All right. Let's begin at the beginning. God. God is pre-existent. He's sovereign. He holds all life, and He is holy. And this God, who is perfectly content and self-sufficient, by His own good desire, decides to create. And He creates all that exists. And the masterpiece of His creation was mankind. Mankind would represent His image in creation. He would fill all of creation with God worshipers. And he would be in a loving, perfect relationship with God. But man chose to serve themselves instead of serving God. They they chose to rebel against them. They sinned against God. And this permanently stained mankind's heart. But here's here's the, the critical issue. To rebel against God to reject him is to reject life, to make yourself an enemy of the God of the universe, of the king of life. And so cut off from life and under the wrath of God, mankind came under the punishment of sin, which was death and hell. But God is a God of love who loves his people and desires to purify them from their sin and save them from hell. So he promises right there at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promises that he would send a savior. He would send a hero who would destroy the tempter and redeem his image bearers. And the rest of the Bible is the story of how God brings his own back to himself. For his people to be with him, sin must be dealt with. It has to be eradicated. So throughout the Old Testament, God's people have looked for God to fulfill this promise in a lot of different ways. God promised that that this hero would be a descendant of hers, a male descendant of hers. Well, she has her first son. And she says, look, look what the Lord has given me, and it's Cain. But what happens? Within Cain, we have sin. We find a sinner. Then the world has this steady decline in their sin until 
God brings a worldwide punishment, a flood, the flood of Noah. And he wipes out sin by wiping out mankind, all but Noah's family. And after this great punishment, maybe now sin would be dealt with. But what do we find? Verses later, we find sin in Noah and his family again. So God chooses a special family. Maybe if God puts his his particular love and focus on a specific family, maybe this family would, would be the exception from sin. So God recruits Abraham and brings Abraham in and gives him special promises and a special future. And through Abraham, all the world is going to be blessed. But what do we find in Abraham's family? We find sin. Then this family gets enslaved in Egypt. Well, maybe if they could just be set free, if they could have their own freedom of faith, maybe then they would turn to God and sin would be dealt with. And God emancipates them and redeems them from Egypt and brings them into the wilderness. And what do we find in the desert? We find sin in the family. It hasn't been dealt with yet. Well, maybe what they really need is a set of rules to help them to know what is right and what is wrong, and they can follow the rules, and sin will be dealt with. So God brings them to Mount Sinai, and he sets up the law. And what do we find? Sin runs rampant still. And he sets up this blood sacrifice system. Maybe if if something could die in their place, if something could die for their sin so that they could live on, maybe sin would be dealt with. And what do we find? Sin remains. God even says, I I hate your sacrifices. They're done out of this this disgusting heart. They're not meaning anything. Well, maybe if they can finally have their own land, come out of the desert, stop wandering, and they have a land that's prosperous and beautiful, and, and it'll be the perfect scenario, the perfect circumstances, maybe then they'll turn to God, worship Him only, worship him only, and sin will be dealt with. So God brings them into the promised land. And again, what do we find when they're in the promised land? We find sin. Oh, maybe what they really need are some heroes, some heroes that will rise up and defeat their enemies and lead the people, the judges. And what happens? What do we find? We still find sin. But what they really need, they need a king. They need one man that will unite everyone and, and rule as king over God's people in the promised land. And God raises up Saul. But what do we find in this king? We find sin. Well, maybe what we really, really need is a godly king. We need need a king whose heart is after God's own heart. And God raises up David. But what do we find inside David? What do we find inside of his kingship? We find sin again. Well, maybe we need a wise king. And then, so God raises up Solomon. But there's still sin. Maybe we need a descendant. A descendant that'll look a lot like David, but better. And then, perhaps what we really need is a spiritual center. A beautiful temple that everyone can see that will be the marvel of the world. Maybe when we have this this spiritual center, it'll finally deal with sin. And Solomon builds the the temple. And what do we find? Sin. So what we really need, we need to have messengers from God. 
We need to have people that speak the very words of God so that people can hear and respond and repent and turn to God. So God sends the prophets. And what happens? They reject the prophets. There's sin in the prophets. What about punishment to finally deal with all this rebellion, all this idolatry? And God sends them into Babylonian captivity, destroys everything they had built in the promised land and the temple, and they're taken as slaves into Babylonian captivity. And what do we find while they're in Babylonian captivity? We find sin. And everything starts sounding painfully familiar. If only they could be free from Babylon and go home to the promised land, maybe then. And so they do. Under the edict of Cyrus, they get to go home and they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the wall. They rebuild Jerusalem. And here we are at the close of the Old Testament. And Nehemiah and Ezra are walking throughout the country. And what do they find? They find sin. No leader No law, no punishment, no place of worship, no ideal circumstances. We're we're dealing with man's rebellious appetite. Sin remained even in the best of men, in the best of women, in the best of circumstances. So elevate. What was God slowly and painfully teaching humanity? This isn't God searching for a solution. This is God teaching us what the solution is. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that there is nothing that we can do. There are no perfect conditions that we can do or create to be saved. We, as Romans 7 makes clear, are slaves of sin from birth to death. So far, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, all of these were external solutions. But, (laughs) but God spoke through his prophets that he himself would personally come and finally purify sin. So he spoke through Malachi, He's going to come and purify his people like like a silversmith purifies silver. And he spoke through Ezekiel that he's going to come and he's going to replace the stone human heart with a heart that beats, a flesh heart that beats after him. He speaks to Jeremiah that he's going to come and actually write his law on people's hearts, not on scrolls, not on tablets, not on leather of any kind. He's going to write it on the heart. He's going to finally deal with the place that sin has set up its temple, the human heart. Then God, as we turn into the New Testament, God himself, without compromising his divinity, puts on humanity and comes to his people. Jesus taught about the kingdom. Jesus, born of a virgin, teaches of the kingdom and returns rebels back to the king of creation. He proved again and again and again that he was undeniably God. He had power over nature. He had power over the spiritual realm and demons. He had power over sickness. He had power over death again and again and again. He showed that he was God. 
And then he died, executed under a horrible, shameful death. And right here at the cross of Calvary, God placed on him our sin and the punishment of our sin. He became sin for us, and he died the death we deserved. But the story wasn't over yet. Three days later, he did what only the God of life could do, only what the creator God of the universe could do. He defeated death itself by raising himself from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he showed he was alive for 40 days to hundreds of people and ascended in front of his disciples, lifted off the ground and ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, where he is now interceding for us. Now his apostles, his followers, they received power from the Holy Spirit and they took the gospel of God's saving work to the world. That's the story. That's how God gets glory in the story of how he saves his people. So how is, how is this book organized? It is a thick book, especially if you have a study Bible. It looks enormous. Wow. How is it organized? So let's try to make this easier so we know how to get into it a little bit easier. So I had a teacher that always said that the Bible is law, poetry, prophecy, and someone else's mail. <laughs> All right, so it's very easy. Let's break it into, let's say, six easy categories from beginning to end. Let's take just the Old Testament at first. Now, the first five books are called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, tush or tuch meaning Scrolls, so five scrolls. This is what Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Pentateuch. Then the next chunk that we have is the history. This is the, the unfolding of everything I just described. The, the history begins uh, with Joshua going into the promised land, and it goes all the way through Ezra and Nehemiah's searching through the land and still finding sin. Then there is the poetry section. And the poetry is made up of poetry and wisdom. And it's beautiful. Uh, it's written by David. There's a, a psalm by Moses and Solomon. And there's 50 psalms that we don't even know who wrote them. And then you have Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, uh, which are written by Solomon and along with Proverbs. Just poetry right there. Then the rest of the Old Testament are the writings of prophets which took place during that history. So all of this, this chunk of the prophets were spoken during the history of, of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, all the way through Nehemiah. So this chunk fits into the history books. So Pentateuch, history, poetry, prophets. Pentateuch, history, poetry, prophets. The four chunks of the Old Testament. And the New Testament will break into just two chunks to make it easy. We have the Gospels. Those are the first four books. These are the biographical accounts of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels. 
And then the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to call epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters. These are letters that the people that knew Jesus best wrote to tell us about Jesus and how to follow him. So Pentateuch, history, poetry, prophets, gospels, epistles. Pentateuch, history, poetry, prophets, gospels, epistles. Someone make a song, put a beat to it, make a million dollars on YouTube. Credit me, please. Last time. Pentateuch, history, poetry, prophets, gospels, epistles. Now, this was a really helpful tip for me. Considering those six categories, how do I find them in the Bible? Well, that's actually fairly easy, and it all comes from splitting the Bible into halves. So if you would pick up your Bible and hold it so that uh, the binding's on the bottom, and you're looking down at it, Uh, What you'll need to do is if you have a study Bible with lots of goodies in the back, you're going to need to remove, peel those off so you're holding just Genesis to Revelation in your hands. Now, looking down at the Bible, let's use your thumbs to cut the Bible directly in the middle. And when you do, you're going to land in or very near the poetry and wisdom section. So you may land in Psalms, Proverbs, uh, maybe Song of Songs. Uh, There's a chance you'll land in Isaiah. If you land in Isaiah, you can just kind of go left a little bit. But just generally, you're going to land in the middle of the poetry section. Now, let's take the half that's on your left, and we're going to split that into two halves. So now you have the first quarter and second quarter of the whole Bible. And that first quarter that's in your left hand, this, and when you peel that in half, you should land uh, maybe Deuteronomy uh, or Joshua, somewhere in there. But the left hand, this is holding the Pentateuch, the first five books, also known as the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the foundation of the rest of the Bible. So there you go, first quarter. Now the second quarter, which you should be holding in your right hand, here is the history. This is the storyline of the Bible from Adam all the way up until Jesus steps on the earth in the New Testament. So this is that story that we just unpacked. Now, now remember, right down the middle is the the, uh, poetry. Now let's take the second half of the Bible. All right, we're looking at it. Let's use our thumbs to cut it in half. So now in your left hand, you're holding the third quarter of the Bible, In your right hand, you're holding the last, the fourth quarter of the Bible. Now, in your left hand, the third quarter of the Bible, this is the prophets, the prophetic writings. This is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zephaniah, on and on and on and on. So this chunk took place during the history books. Now, let's go to the last quarter of the Bible. And so we're looking at a quarter, the last quarter, and we're going to split that in half so that you have the last two-eighths of the Bible. So the last quarter, split that in half. Now what you're holding in your left hand are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the story of Jesus. And in your right hand, the last one-eighth of the Bible, these are the epistles. This is everywhere from Acts all the way through Revelation. And in here you'll find Thessalonians, Ephesians, Colossians, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, on and on and on. So, does that help you at all?
if that's confusing at all, just let it go. Uh, if that helps you, great. Um, I hope it does. So that is how you can quickly navigate the Bible. So if someone says, uh, find Exodus, and you say to yourself, oh, Exodus is in the Pentateuch. All you have to do, cut the Bible in half, cut the first half in half, and now you know that Exodus is somewhere in that first quarter. Or if they say, find Ezekiel. Oh, okay, well, cut the Bible in half, cut the first half in half. Oh, sorry, cut the Bible in half, cut the second half in half, and now you're holding the prophets. Somewhere in this one little quarter is Ezekiel. If someone says, let's find 2 Thessalonians, all right, cut the Bible in half, cut the second half in half, cut that last quarter in half, and you now you know that somewhere in this little eighth is 2 Thessalonians. What ties this whole book together is Jesus. One of my favorite preachers once said that we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he's preached. In the Epistles, he's explained. And in Revelation, he's expected. There's an incredible story about a young man in Vietnam in 1971 named Hein Pham. And Hein Pham was a translator for the military, and he got pulled into a missionary group where he was translating for these American missionaries into Vietnamese, and he went from one side of Vietnam to the other, working with these missionaries, and Hein Pham fell in love with Jesus, gave his life to the Lord, and was pleased to work with these missionaries. Now, 1971 was a pretty... Uh, crazy season for Vietnam. And after the missionaries left, Hein Pham was left behind in his homeland in Vietnam. And shortly after Vietnam fell, Hein was imprisoned on accusations of helping the Americans. And his jailers would beat him and they tried to indoctrinate him against democratic ideals and the Christian faith. Uh, he was constantly bombarded with communist propaganda in French or Vietnamese, and it began to take his toll. And finally, one day, Hein Pham said to himself, maybe, maybe I've been lied to. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe those missionaries have lied to me. So Hein determined that when he woke up the next morning, he wouldn't pray anymore, and he wouldn't think about his faith. Well, the next morning he woke up and things went from bad to even worse. He was assigned the dreaded chore of cleaning the latrines. As he was in there doing this disgusting job, he was cleaning out used toilet paper out of a tin can and his eye caught something that looked like it was in English. He, he hurriedly grabbed it out and he washed it and after his roommates had fallen asleep, he took out the paper and he began to read. And he saw that at the top of the paper it said, Romans chapter 8. And trembling, he began to read. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, Hein wept. 
he knew his Bible and he knew that there was not a more relevant passage for someone that was giving up their faith than this. So Hein, that night, cried out to God, asked for forgiveness. And he went to the people that were over him and asked if he could be the one that cleans the latrines every day. He had figured it out that someone in command, someone higher up, had been using Bible pages as toilet paper. And day after day, he'd find another page, he'd clean it off, and that night he would read it, and he started a collection of pages from the Bible. Well, the day came when some series of miraculous events happened, and Hein was finally released from prison. Right away, he began to make plans of how he could get out of the country, how he could construct a boat and escape. And his plans involved 53 other people. They were going to build this boat, and they were going to sail to Thailand for safety. Well, everything was going to, going to plan until one day, four Viet Cong soldiers knocked on his door and told him that they had heard about his escape plans. Well, he denied it up and down. He denied it and denied it, denied it until they left. And at first he felt relieved, but suddenly the Holy Spirit started messing with him. It started convicting him. And he, he made a promise to God out of a disappointment in himself that, and he hoped God wouldn't take him up on it, that if those Viet Cong, Cong soldiers returned, he would tell them the truth. Oh, well, he was absolutely rattled when only a few hours before they were about to set sail, those four men returned. And they asked him bluntly, are you constructing a boat to escape? And the Holy Spirit messed with his heart, and he said, yes. And to his astonishment, the men leaned forward in a whispered tone and said, can we go with you? <laughs> so 58 men packed into this ramshackle boat, found themselves out on the water, and suddenly a violent storm hits. Hein cries out to God, did you bring us out here to die? But Hein has said that if it wasn't for the sailing ability, the talents, the training of those four Viet Cong soldiers, they never would have made it. They eventually arrived safely in Thailand, and years later, he made it to American soil where he still lives today. What we have taken for granted most of our lives, the Bible, has been the lifeblood to the broken, the scared, the lost, the hopeless, throughout history. It's God's revelation so that we can know Him, worship Him, enjoy Him for eternity. And it has been a life preserver. It has been a catalyst. It has been hope for God's people. The very thing that we let gather dust is one of the greatest treasures that we could ever own. Like Heinfam, we need to begin to treasure and hunger for the Word of God. So where do we begin? 
I'll give you some easy Bible, Bible study tips for tonight. And every week we're going to get a little bit deeper. I'd like you to practice, when you open your Bible to read, practice SOAPs. S-O-A-P-S. S stands for Scripture. So you're going to you know, open up the Bible, begin at the beginning of a chapter or, or at the beginning of a book and read it. Read it chunk. Read it several times around and around. Like internalize what you're reading. And then <clears throat> you're going to S-O, observe, immerse yourself in it. Put yourself in the shoes of the people involved or consider who's writing or why they're, they're writing this, this argument or this thought. Uh, ask yourself, does this, does this passage make connections anywhere else in the Bible? What am I supposed to learn from it? What does this teach me about who God is? So scripture, observation, and then the A in soaps, application. How can I apply this? How can I take the truth of this section and apply it in my life? S-O-A-P, prayer. Pray about what you learned. Pray about the truth that you've read. Pray for people. Pray for how you could Apply it. Then, S, share it. Think of something in what you've read that's simple, that's clear, something that you could easily use in conversation, and share it. Scripture, observation, application, prayer, and share. So here's a couple challenges for you this week, Elevate. The first is that you would... Get a Bible that you can read easily. And if you're looking for a translation that's easy to read, you can talk to one of your Elevate leaders. Uh, we sell the ESV uh, Bible here, which comes jam-packed with commentary and tons of great resources. And I recommend that, but there's a lot of great Bibles out there. Uh, so uh, pick up a Bible, one that is easy for you to read. And then a uh, second challenge is to pick up a, a Bible reading plan. And we have two that I'm offering tonight. There are many, 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 but we have one that the church itself is going through, and through the whole year, you would read the entire Bible. Uh, the second one that I'm offering that you can find up here on the stage is uh, specifically the narrative of the, of the Bible. So you will miss out on some great things like the prophetic writings or a lot of Psalms, but you will, in one year, read the story of the Bible, uh, so you'll have a, a bigger paradigm of, of what's going on. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, that you would that you would work in the hearts of everyone who hears my voice, that you would stir in them a desire for your word, and through your Holy Spirit, you'd create a craving like Heinfam, a desperation to hear your voice. Lord, bless them and honor them as they begin to study your word, to walk through soaps. <laughs> Lord, we love you and we surrender our, our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.